Hello, my name is Jennifer Barkin, and I'm an associate professor of community medicine and obstetrics and gynecology at the Mercer University School of Medicine in Macon, Georgia. Our team would like to thank Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology for the opportunity to disseminate our research findings through this podcast. These results are now published in an article entitled The Effects of Extreme Weather Events on Child Mood and Behavior and are available in open access format. So why did we decide to examine this topic? Well, in many ways, the reasons are evident. As our planet continues to warm, extreme weather events, or EWEs, are becoming more frequent and severe. We see the impacts every single day, reports of heat domes, wildfires, and flooding, to name a few. These events have broad consequences in terms of those on, and those on human health. EWEs can cause injury, illness, death, and displacement, and all of these events have mental health ramifications. It's important to note that due to a lack of agency and several other factors, children are especially vulnerable to the effects of climate change and are expected to bear 88% of the burden in years to come. For all of these reasons, our team embarked upon a narrative literature review with the goal of synthesizing evidence across all types of EWEs. The goal was to highlight commonalities and novel but compelling findings throughout. Specifically, we sought to understand the psychological impacts of climate change on the child population across different types of weather events. In terms of methodology, the search procedure was fairly standard but rigorous. We canvassed PubMed, Embase, Web of Science, and Psych Info for articles describing mental health impacts of disaster exposure on children. After multi-step vetting, we ended up with 70 articles that met criteria. After reviewing the evidence in its entirety, our team decided that the best way to relay the findings was across five topics, psychological symptoms and behavior, potential for long-term effects, protective factors, risk factors, and implications for screening and treatment. In terms of psychological symptoms in EWE-exposed children, post-traumatic stress, depression, and anxiety are the most well-documented. However, negative externalizing behaviors such as aggression, delinquency, and substance abuse have also been observed, as well as sleep disturbance, impaired functioning, and attachment insecurity. Diminished academic performance and diminished earning potential as an adult are also in the realm of possibility where individuals have been disaster exposed in childhood. We just mentioned diminished earning potential as an adult. This was seen at least in one study as being tied to disaster exposure. This brings to mind the larger question of, what is the potential for long-term effects of disaster exposure? It turns out that several factors influence the risk for lingering impact, the first being the chronicity of the event. An example of chronic in this context would be repeat flooding or multiple hurricanes hitting the same region in the same year. Level of exposure also plays a major role in the road to recovery. That is experiencing greater loss, injury, illness, death, or displacement as a result of the event is associated with prolonged negative mood symptoms. So what factors support recovery from an extreme weather event? Well, there are many, social support, coping style, and one's capacity to reframe the situation as an opportunity for growth. Notice post-traumatic growth are all important. Also key is access to air conditioning and green space and caregiver support. Specifically, the child's caregiver or parent can play a huge role in supporting or impeding recovery. Children who've experienced a natural disaster without a caregiver present tend to fare worse than those who did. 
Now that we've discussed protective factors, we want to point out some key risk factors. There's some evidence that several sociodemographic variables play a role in recovery timeline. Specifically, older age, female gender, and lower socioeconomic status appear to confer greater risk for negative child mental health outcomes on average. Also problematic are intrusive rumination or rehashing of the event, significant exposure or loss, previous stressful life events, and exposure to interpersonal or community violence. Of note, the latter has been shown to disproportionately affect women and children. So now that we know the potential for serious mental health ramifications exists, what do we know about treatment? Consider this, while up to 71% of children report post-traumatic symptoms in the aftermath of disasters, only five to 33% access counseling. Also, published reports indicate that there is value in post-disaster screening and treatment for both parents and children. So what's the impediment to widespread implementation? As always, resources. For example, immediately after the event, both communities and parents tend to be focused on the provision of basic needs, and mental health tends to take a backseat. We want to again thank the team at Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology for giving us this opportunity to describe our research. A few key takeaways from this presentation are, one, climate change has implications for both physical and mental health. Two, ramifications of exposure can be long-term, but are not necessarily as children are also resilient. Three, risk and protective factors combine with exposure level to influence recovery trajectory. Four, significant work remains in the area of post-disaster assessment and intervention. And finally, clinicians working with EWE-exposed children should be aware of the risk factors and potential mental health ramifications. Thank you.